Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 93 of Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera. On the show this week, what's that? Bad news for Star Wars Battlefront, perish the thought. Tribute to Iwata and Sanic, swings and roundabouts I guess. Prepare to rip your pants from the safety of your own home, and the future of Deus Ex addressed. Also, in our book club this week, we show those Nazis who's boss. It's Wolfenstein 3D, let's start the show. This is episode 93 of Link to the Cast from your friends at linktothecast.eu, available on all your favourite podcasting platforms, be it Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Podcast Addict or Stitcher. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan, joined as I am each and every week by the Rocky Mountain Cool, Arctic Chill, Mark Robinson. How are you, Mark? Apple, right? Can we talk about Apple? <laughs> Can I, I like have Apple. my five minutes? Smith. Or are you more of a golden delicious man? I'm more of a, I'm going to fucking burn my MacBook to the ground in a second. <laughs> so there was the whole thing earlier about apparently um, it's well easy to get into the uh, accounts or devices of people that own MacBooks or whatever um, with new Sierra update. Because apparently you can just kind of brute force your way through now. Huh. So <laughs> there's <laughs> that. So, you know, mass security issue. And now apparently, on my new Sierra update, it means that my version of Logic Pro that I used to record this, going behind the scenes, is now obsolete. And I now have to give Apple €220 if I want to use a new version of Logic Pro. So Apple, I am calmly telling you on the air, uh, go fuck yourself. (laughs) Go and fuck yourself. So, yeah. Um... I'm fine. Apple with another banner week for uh, news about their own security failings. Yeah. yeah. It's not like they had a bunch of celebrities mad at them because their their cloud got hacked. Oh, yeah. There was ago. the whole uh, uh, fappening thing, which just... Why did you say it, that saying word out loud, it is man? Just, uh, oh, 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 moving swiftly on. How's your week been? Uh, you are wintered up. Um, well, you know, we have no the fucking co- heating in this house, <laughs> so I have to. Well, we do. Well, we will. We just, uh... The only heating I get is if I have the he- cat on my head. Yes, Mark, but if the tumble dryer hadn't broken, we could have afforded to fix the heating by now. We have oil. It's just that the tumble dryer was not treated well, and it broke, so that had to be replaced first. Mm. So, that's all. The cause and effect. Mm. But uh, um, you're wintered but, up for the, the second successive year you remain unable to handle the Irish winter. Uh, well, it's three successive years of bitterly coldness because China as well was not exactly a fucking sauna. Um, no, I'm fine, you know, just I'm prepared. Just sitting indoors in gloves and a woolly hat. And is that a cardigan or a blanket or a dressing gown? It's whatever it and wants to hoodie. be. <laughs> Do you know what? I'm toasty. I could probably stab you, and it would just... Well, I The blade in, would sink in, but not into your skin. I am in you're Ireland, wearing so enough, always got to be wearing prepared. enough layers. Hey, look, we're not in Barry's neck of the woods here. <laughs> um, yeah, so I found out that um, potentially, uh, like, the whole kind of work situation, I could have about 37 agents I would be having to uh, hire or use, or just... It's, Mark works in the world of covert assassination. It's just, it's gone from like naught to a thousand in about. It's feast or famine, my friend. Yeah, I tell it's you, feast what. or famine. Um, I guess I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm warm. That's good enough for yeah. me. Get Anything up. after is a bonus. Get up too much during the week. Um, uh, do, 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 do. no, not really. Like it's all just been 
uh, kind of getting hands on deck with work, and mm. like I'm enjoying that. Um, Didn't go to any live music concerts or anything like that. Oh Mark, yeah, no. we just don't know. <laughs> uh, just god damn idiot. That might as well have been like in another life cycle. All right. Yeah. Um, oh yeah, Queen. Yeah, you know, it was it was good. It was good. Yeah. Uh, have you seen them before? 2005. Reading 2005. Were they better that time no. as well? Okay. No, so I. They were better but this time. They were coming off of Lullabies to Paralyze. So, yeah. you know. Similar vibe to this in as much as they're not coming off one of their best albums. So, even though I do like villains, I think last time I saw them, they were coming off the back of, like, Clockwork, which is one of their best yeah, albums. Yeah, but, I mean, they didn't, like, just do a whole bulk of villains and then mm. dotted other songs around. There was a really nice kind of blend of... Yeah. Um, their career and actually I got a lot more of clock, like Clockwork than I was expecting which I was happy they with they because... opened with If I Had a Tail yeah and I have myself and Brian were there late because we went to get food and we were in the toilet like, <laughs> we were going to the toilet and then I went to... <laughs> I was like holy shit they started um, but I hadn't I hadn't seen them since 2005 so I hadn't seen anything oh. from like Clockwork and I I, I I don't think there's an album I've done such a 180 on because I originally reviewed that album and I didn't like it. Like Clockwork. Yeah. Oh, like Clockwork is a fucking masterpiece. And then about six months later, I just I started listening to it. I was like, what what the fuck is wrong with me? Yeah. I think part of it is just I don't like the opener. It's the only bad song in the album. What opens it? Exactly. It's the... is it my, my God is the Sun. No, <laughs> no, it's not. It's because that's good. Oh, no. uh, yeah. yeah, like after that, it's. If, mm. if if the album starts Sat with, by the ocean, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I appear missing might be my favorite Queens of Stone Age song. It's up there. It's so good. Um, it's my favorite non songs for the deaf album. It's like, it's I my think favorite that's a classic. What's the best Queens of Stone Age album? It's songs for the oh, deaf. It's but... my favorite song that isn't songs for the deaf. Itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, just you know, really great sound. It was it was a good um, show. Um, uh, I, I gotta be honest Josh's whole all oh, look at me I'm in my mid 40s or I'm having a cigarette in an arena where I can't be smoking or yeah. I'm such a dad <laughs> I could have done without that but yeah. oh whatever I mean the the genre of music we listen to is just chock-a-block with Daz it so really we're gonna is. have to get used to that stuff it really is um, I had a good weekend I went to that as well uh, we, you were you were seated for that weren't you uh, I was because I'm was. an old man myself and Brian were standing and I think Brian afterwards regretted that he that he uh, listened to my youthful vigor and said we should get standing tickets because he was creased. See, and he had three three nights of gigs that weekend as well. See, I'm an old man, but I'm a smart old man. Yeah, I was I was fine. Like I'm I'm usually grandstanding at gigs or festivals or things like that. It doesn't really. Well, I'm so fucking happy for you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, but the night after, we also went to something, Mark. <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> like this is brilliant. This is. Did you do that last again? Oh no, not much, man. What oh, about those two massive yeah. things we went to? Right. Uh, so we went to a venue in Dublin called the Sugar Club, which uh, by the man who was hosting the evening was accurately described as somewhere halfway between a, a disco and. Uh, a cinema there's also a little bit of kind of uh, like a, a Cuban lounge scene kind of effect going on in the place it's a really weird aesthetic going on up at the Sugar Club but we went to see a film called Oxide Ghosts oh, it's an, like an hour long documentary uh, kind it's, of. Yeah, about it's, an a documentary. Hour, it's about an hour long and what it is is it's uh, Michael Cumming who is the guy who directed Brass Eye the, uh, the Christopher Morris joint from uh, Channel 4 uh, in the, the late 1990s for those of you who are from the states or whatever it was kind of like a <clears throat> it, it was like a parody news show that was like a parody of um, 
the, the kind of sensationalized tabloid culture of the late 1990s um he there was six episodes and uh, and it's only it's become kind of, more distressingly relevant yeah it, it's a cult classic uh it really really is and was known for like both its its zany kind of like twists on reality and also the frequent conning of actual celebrities at the time into reading the most preposterous scripts uh, and also the pushing of many many buttons uh yeah. that for you know this was on channel four which which did push many envelopes and in the 90s. now in fairness yeah channel channel four like i remember um around the turn of the millennium um apart from the fact that you know, I was watching the Royal Rumble at two o'clock in the morning on a, on Channel Four. Mm. Um, there was also this thing where um, people could record themselves on their webcam and record 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 stuff. And I remember there was uh, like a discussion or an argument going on between two people because there was one guy who would talk on uh, at like two o'clock in the morning on channel four um but he would only talk with his bollocks on display <laughs> and then there was another guy who was like hey if you're so whatever like show your face and so the guy with the bollocks went if you're so blah 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 show your bollocks and that was yeah, channel four was a weird place man. yeah it really was but um and i so, saw like weird japanese horror and just so, yeah so the guy who directed um who directed all but the 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 pedophile special of Brass Eye. Who did that one? Um, I looked up the name. It's not a name that immediately came to mind, but it was a different guy. It was a, uh, what he said during the Q and A was I think it was because it was a break in between the main episodes and when they did Peter Gabriel. Yeah, because it was like two thousand or two thousand one. Yeah. So by the time they came back and said they were going to do the special, Michael Cummings was busy doing something else, so they couldn't get him back by the sounds of it. But um, so he kept all the raw tapes from Brass Eye. Um, and he's compiled them into this sort of behind-the-scenes documentary uh, that he narrates himself in a fairly uh, unique and Brass Eye sort of style. Um, that's just a load of, like, um, stuff from, like, setting up gags, um, extended versions of gags you see in the show, gags that were cut for legal reasons, and he kind of... Uh, it's not a documentary you'll be seeing... Um, in cinemas he doesn't intend to release it in cinemas properly um, he doesn't intend to release it on DVD he's just going to tour the film around like an event screening thing which has a lovely kind of romanticism to it that I can appreciate mm. but he said also not only is it because of the romantic thing but it's also because it skirts around several libel loopholes <laughs> so he's able to show some of the stuff that's in it yeah there is there uh, now is there's a well. couple of bits from it that I've seen have uh, like cut bits from Brass Eye that have leaked over the years one of our favourite bits from that documentary as it turns out is uh, in a shorter form on YouTube and that's uh, I think got one of the loudest laughs from the room and that was Sutcliffe the Musical so there's a version of that sketch or skit on YouTube okay. but it doesn't involve the, like there's a really long interview with his fe- the female lead yeah. about like so they try to convince people that Peter Sutcliffe has been allowed out of prison to star in a musical of his own life and he's like reformed. Yeah, and like yeah, that's the condition of his release is that he must say he's very sorry at least once a night. <laughs> um Yeah, it's it's really weird. If you're a fan of Brass Eye or kind of surreal comedy like that, you should check see Oxide Ghost and see if it's touring anywhere near you. It's it's definitely worth a shot. And the, the Q and A was conducted by Arthur Matthews, co creator of Father Ted. Yeah, and I think the other thing as well, coming out of uh watching that is you don't realise as well, just Chris Morris is 
genius. He, he's a genius. He's a madman. He's an utter madman. He's all like everywhere in between. Because I remember uh, when I was a lot younger watching stuff like Trigger Happy TV mm. and I was thinking, oh my god, this is the best thing ever. But <laughs> it, like he takes elements of that and pushes yeah. the envelope. Oh as yeah, they may as well be playing a different sport. Like. It's just and like yeah. the way that he. Um, has all these kind of different characters. Like, it's a little bit like the Far Show, you know. Yeah. Um, but even more deranged, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, just... Just... Fair play to him. And, like, even just his use of, like, the, the, there's the skits and then, but there's the use of, like, really surrealist language as well in Brass Eye is great. Like, the the phrase the twisted brain wrong of a one-off man mental is <laughs> <laughs> just like that kind of stuff um i really like it and yeah any of chris mars's stuff is great so there's like the day-to-day is fantastic it's kind of a milder version of the same thing that was on the bbc yeah um yeah i don't know if there's a couple of seasons out there's definitely more episodes of it and that was a kind of um you get to see the genesis of the cal- the character of alan partridge on that show mm. as just a sports reporter on the day-to-day and he's great in it and um, what else has Chris Morris done Four Lions which is the film about the, the terrorists bombing a fun run so I, I mentioned that I went to this and then friend of the show Chazali immediately went you must watch Jam and I immediately yeah. went no go fuck yourself yeah no uh, like, I'm fine thank you like Jam is great but Jam is like Jam is in that kind of Mr. Show strata mm. of it's just it will hurt your brain that's how away from anything resembling structure and form it is jam is the equivalent there's a band called mr bungle which is Mm. like made up of mike Patton from faith no more and just a whole bunch of just random californian instrumentalists and whatnot and it's there is no rhyme or reason to anything that happens in that band and i feel it's the equivalent refer back to us talking about queens of stone age the desert sessions where like Even Josh more. and a bunch of musicians go out to Joshua Tree, get absolutely wasted, and just record whatever. You ever heard them singing about Shepherd's Pie from one of the Desert Sessions albums? I've not, but I should. Weird man, <laughs> it's really fucking weird. Uh, I mean, but you yeah. wouldn't want to sing about that's uh, Pie. that's Oxide Ghosts. So. I really feel like I'm gonna have to go back and watch because uh, I've watched Brass Eye in a long time. Um, I have it all. Anytime you want to watch. And I did go back at some point, and I got through about the first four or five episodes of Alan Partridge, uh, and was having a great time with that as mm. well. Uh, just the bit where he's at the Al Sanctuary, and yeah. Um, the there's two other things I want to kind of talk about very briefly before we move on All right. that I want to uh, draw attention to. The first uh, is a documentary that I watched during the week uh, called "The Problem with a Poo," and this was uh, there's an American comedian called Hari Kondabolu who is a second generation Indian immigrant. And he uh, he did an hour long documentary on True TV about the the problem with the Simpsons character Apu, and how even though you know one of the things about like people have said in the past that someone like Apu is a is a terrible racial stereotype, the the stock defense to that has always been well the Simpsons kind of swing at everybody, so it's not that they're singling out Indian immigrants for this kind of treatment, um. This is a documentary that kind of breaks that down. And, and it's kind, it's of, kind goes, of a straw man argument. Yeah, man. at best, because it's like, you know, it's it's one thing to slag the kind of the deadbeat or stupid dad trope that Homer is, but there's a lot of dads on television. So the dad kind of 
population isn't being completely ill portrayed but there were very few representations of Indian immigrants on television at the time and, yeah yeah um like he does these kind of round tables talking to South Asian actors and said it has any like it's a room full of like six or seven fairly well-known personalities and it's like which one like how many of you have been called a poo when you were growing up in school and like yeah. all of them put their hands yeah. up and a few of them are women Oh, Jesus. You know, uh, and he talks to Cal Penn from Harold and Kumar fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just like, no, I fucking hate The Simpsons, man. And Harry, Harry, the guy who hosts the documentary, he's just like, no, I, I really like The Simpsons. I, I'm kind of, I'm divorcing the two from each other. This is a very problematic character that I would like removed. And the, the structure of it is all around him trying to meet Hank Azaria, who does the voice, which is another layer of problem because it's a white man yeah. doing, <laughs> what is he goes, he's a white man doing a bad impersonation of someone making fun of my dad (laughs) (laughs) is what he said i was like wow that's that's yeah that's pretty bang on uh i recommend it as a documentary i think it's good and it's not kind of for people who are like oh i don't want him criticizing the simpsons he's not really criticizing the simpsons as much as like the decisions and series of decisions that led to this character still being on the air and some of the ways in which it's problematic and you mightn't uh consider it unless you are in fact of south asian heritage because you don't have to live through that kind of experience Uh, and then the final thing i want to talk about that dropped today is the avengers infinity war trailer have you seen this this. yes it's pretty good yeah it's pretty good i'm excited for this um it's gonna it's, it's it's interesting going back to i mean we've had the last thor film we've been having guardians we've had that um, shift more towards the kind of comic tone uh, in in the kind of more recent Marvel films. Well, what it what it is is so, and this is going back to the more slightly you could say po face side of what's been the the Avengers. But it what's really nice about it is it's it's just tying everything yeah, together. Well, like you know? their strategy was to start off by doing the kind of relatively grounded heroes like Cap. Uh, and Iron Man and Black Widows in there as well like the earthbound heroes and then you expand a little bit with Thor and then you expand a little bit more out into what they call the the cosmic realm <clears throat> and that's incorporating things like you know the the wackier elements of Thor and Guardians of the Galaxy obviously and you're yep. introducing Thanos there um <clears throat> and then doing the supernatural which is where they came in with doctor strange and now that all that's there like by the time this comes out it'll be pretty much 10 years since iron man that's won. fucking mad and like well over 20 films i think or around 20 films anyway um so it's, a, it's just a it's a brief it's a teaser more than a trailer it's only about two minutes long and you get to see kind of uh, they show some of the history of marvel kind of go like all these remarkable people coming together and then um, there's this great clip of Peter Parker and he's on the school bus going over a bridge somewhere and he looks back and there's just this fucked up spaceship in the yeah. air and it's Thanos, he's here and he's coming to collect the Infinity Stones. Um, and there's some really cool, like, just because, it, it, you know, they don't want to give away the farm, so it's, like, really quick cuts between different out-of-context close-ups of action. Have they, so, have they redesigned Thanos? Cause, yeah, from yeah. his original appearance... Uh, in the post credit scene in Avengers, they've redesigned him. Plus, he's wearing slightly different gear in mm. this because he doesn't have his 
his like his his helmet on and he like he's not fully in the, the traditional Thanos garb yeah. yet. Um but yeah, he's slightly redesigned. I think he looks better. I think he looks more natural fitting in that kind of universe. He was like he was a bit kind of um Jim Starlin like 70s period uh 70s 80s Thanos uh when he first showed up and now they're kind of modernizing it a little, which I'm cool with. Um, you get to see some of his. They're calling them the, the the children of Thanos. I can't remember what the fuck they were called. Um, in it, like basically his servants. Um, what they're called in the comics. Um, Corvus Glaive is in the trailer. Proxima Midnight gets my favorite cameo in the trailer. She's the one with the fucked up spear that just mm. chucks it at. Is that her cap or uh, Falcon? I can't remember who. Um, there's great scenes of like one of the things you want from this kind of team up movie where fucking everybody's finally getting together is like oh what would it look like if such and such and such and such were in the same scene at the same time so there's a great scene with uh, Wakanda where it's like let's raise the city's defences and someone get that man a shield and yeah. Cap steps out of the shadow with a beard um, so I'm really fucking looking forward to Black Panther that's oh, it's gonna like, be good. I, I think I'm more looking forward to Black Panther than I actually am Infinity War at the moment um, as we sort of see more trailers for Infinity War I'm sure that'll get me up but like the, the, fit, the fact is Black Panther is going to be such a different type of film yeah. um, compared to anything we've seen so far from mm-hmm. and your boy Andy Serkis is, uh, is one of the villains and, and Michael exactly. B. Jordan like and I fucking love I loved him in um, uh, Avengers 2 so yeah See, I'm tempering my expectation because there's a bunch of cool stuff. Oh, the other really fucking cool thing in that trailer, but two really fucking cool things. Um, Corvus Glaive trying to rip the Infinity Stone out of Vision's head. Mm. Uh, and that's also got a pair where there's an image of Vision who has clearly um, trying to mask himself as looking like a normal human, but you can still see the gem in his head. Um, and then the possibly the bit that will get everybody... Uh, in bits is the sting at the end of the trailer of Thor meeting the Guardians which we knew about that had leaked out from a comic con there was comic con footage of that Um, but really this film should just be called uh, Avengers Everyone Dies Uh, some people are gonna um, it'll be interesting we should do like before the week comes out like do a Deadpool (laughs) of who do we think is gonna die in it because everyone has been guessing Hawkeye is gonna die for like two films now like everyone thought he was dead in Age of Ultron um, but I'm I'm tempering my expectations because even though it was a really cool trailer, um, I remember when the first trailer for Avengers two came out and I was hyped out my goddamn mind. And Avengers two disappointed me slightly. Well, I I, I, I like I, Avengers two, but Avengers two is not as good as the first one. I and think it's not that's as good because as the, it's not as good as the trailers led you to believe. Yeah, it was no, I, I think the issue is that Avengers two is not Avengers one. And Avengers 1 was a, a well, massive moment. you say that, but then Civil War was basically a better Avengers 2. Yeah, because they got it right. Yeah, yeah. But that, that doesn't mean, like, it wasn't because Avengers 1 was good. It was because Avengers 2 was disappointing that Avengers 2 was disappointing. It was because of a bunch of different things. Like, I, I think Ultron was played up for laughs a little bit more than I would have preferred. That I still, to this day, have a little bit of problem with, like, how Ultron looked in that movie. He's much creepier looking in the comics, and I, I preferred that and the tone that the first trailer was uh, striking. But you know what? Hulkbuster versus Hulk. That was still pretty <laughs> awesome. Um, but yeah, that's Avengers Infinity War. That's out in May, I believe. So that's going to be a good time. We're just going to wait six fucking months for it. Uh, shall we talk about some video games, my friend? Let's do that. Playing this week. Hey, check it out. I learned the baseline from Final Fantasy 2.
Scott, you are the salt of the earth. Oh, thanks. I meant scum of the earth. Thanks. I'm going to go off the top real quick here. Uh, Mark, I have started playing Assassin's Creed Origins, which ah. I picked up on Black Friday. Um, I'll tell you what, right? It was kind of liberating having no money for Black Friday. Mm. Just didn't have to worry or care. The Just... one thing that slightly annoyed you was that there was pretty good deals going on Wolfenstein that day. That was the one thing. Yeah, I could have done... That was down to, what, 30 quid? Uh, well, it was 20 quid on Steam. Oh. I could have, uh, yeah... Yeah. Anyway, Assassin's Creed. <laughs> yeah. So Assassin's Creed Origins, we know uh, it took a year off, um, which is to the game's benefit. Um, I've only played like an hour or two of Assassin's Creed Origins. It's it's set in Egypt. I don't want to really give away any loose story details. Just kind of give some gameplay impressions. <laughs> story details. Assassin's well, Creed. It, ah. the fans of the series ah. are into the lore, so good for them. Um, the game. Look, I'm just going to put it's it to you. Really, go on. Does it feel like more Assassin's Creed, or does it feel like uh, a refinement, or uh, like the yeah, something, something I, new for the series? I, I lean more towards the latter. I wouldn't say okay, it's an entirely good. new thing, but I would say for the first time in about three or four installments of that game, it feels like a game that was finished before it came out. I'm <laughs> well, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like Unity was like a legendary garbage fire. Uh, with faces that after? disappeared. What was the London one? Um, Syndicate. And that was kind of just a really felt bare bones. Yeah. I played that one. And that felt very like kind of hollow. Whereas this one feels good. And the 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 ancient Egyptian setting is, is kind of refreshing. You don't see that take a lot in video games. Particularly the period of ancient Egypt it's set in. It's set in more towards the kind of like near the end of the, 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 the that period of history with like I think Ptolemy is the pharaoh at the time so it's the time of Cleopatra and Mark Anthony you're just saying words at me now ancient ancient Egypt um, the gameplay feels good the game looks great uh, my main criticism is that the first hour of it really makes you not want to play it that much because what happens is and I can see what the attempt was the attempt was to make you feel like you're coming into a really lived in world where events huge events are already in progress but what's happening is that your tutorial feels like just a bunch of vignettes you've changed the channel about three minutes into and are completely missing the context for Mm. so instead of what I think they were going for, which is to go, oh, this is a really hectic world with lots of stuff, lots of events going on, everything's moving quickly, it's action-packed. What you're left with is going, I don't really care about any of this yet <laughs> because I don't know what's going on. I am completely fucking lost. The The opening hour or so of that game really betrays um, what the rest of the game is like, which is just a very solid third-person open-world action game, which when... In fairness to them, for the, the the criticisms we do level at that franchise when their games don't work, in fairness to them, when those games work, they are very good at what they do. Yeah, sure. Assassin's Creed Two, Black Flag. Um, there's another one of those Ezio trilogy games that's supposed to be very good, isn't there? I can't remember. Uh, I'm not. The, I'm not the most well versed in Assassin's Creed. I must admit, but when those games are on song, they're very good and this seems to be one of the better iterations of it that's good probably not as good as black flag just based on other people's impressions out there the kind of if i were to sum it all up they're like yeah that's really good yeah whereas with black flag everyone was like oh cool because they added a huge new thing and that was the ship combat that everyone loved yeah yeah 
Um, nothing so nothing I like more than a Welsh pirate. So so pretty good, but it's not going to be, uh, shall we say, it's not going to be a late contender for my game of the year. Yeah, but I, I do think that if they take this approach, where they take that extra year off each time out... Or, or even just do, like, a closer... I know not every studio can do it, but Ubi are surely one of the studios that have enough bank to do something like it. Well, the third just largest publisher, se- Just have a second studio. And just alternate. If you want to, re- if you're insistent on releasing a game every year, have two studios so that the studios get two years each to do it. Uh, yeah. Because like much as we don't care about Call of Duty, those games do come out finished, you know, and their faces aren't falling off in them. <laughs> <laughs> Which I like. I'll never. I'll never get over that. It's an inarguable point. I. I can't. I can't yeah. defend that at all. Not what I want to. <laughs> Uh, what have you been playing? Uh, so, um, I won't really say too much because I spent most of last year talking about Stardew Valley, but I have Stardew Valley on the Switch, and I'm only about 10 hours in, but you definitely notice from... I remember the first time that I played Stardew, it took me about three years into the game cycle before I really kind of got a grasp of what I was doing. Because you spend Mm. the first year or two, when you don't know what you're doing, just kind of poking and prodding, and your farm's a mess because you're just putting anything anywhere. Especially if you're like us, because I think we... I I don't want to speak on your behalf, but I think we're both kind of people who, with games like that, we'd prefer to figure it out for ourselves rather than have wiki open all the time. Um, If I'm genuinely (laughs) stuck, I'll wiki it up. I did get to a point with the community centre where I was like, I want this fucking thing done. Where the fuck is that last fish? <laughs> or like, what time of the year do I yeah. need to be in for that? Um, but in terms of just like, it's a game of like happy accidents where you're like, oh, I didn't realise I could do this, you know. Um, and you, so- you only really get to be an expert in the systems that that game has by doing it. Yeah. Pretty much. You can read all you want about it, but it's only by doing it do you get into it properly. And out your own so, so I haven't played the game in a while now, so definitely some of the... I don't know if the new updates came out at the same time as the Switch or they were before, but like the... I, I can't remember anyway. Um, there's the new types of farms, so you've got the kind of farms that are more near uh, lakes and rivers. That was definitely... When did I start playing it? Like around... Christmas last year, wasn't it? You're on about them. Yeah, so those were in it then. The different farms were in it then. Some of the other stuff wasn't, like, the horse. I don't remember. I had the horse. Oh, do you? Maybe I just didn't get that far. could be. Yeah. Um, So there's that. There's um, there's a different... There's a new building that will allow you to uh, produce flour, I think. Oh, the the mill? The mill, yeah. Yeah, that was in it when I played it. Okay, cool. So, yeah, I think the thing is, is because I, um, I was already, like, into my second farm by that point. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, there's nothing I can say that I didn't say last year other than now I can play it whenever I want, which is... Dangerous. Yes. I -hmm. may never play another game again. Yeah, well, like, I cracked in in a couple of weeks, I cracked in, like, 60 hours into it. Yeah, and if I find the time, I will do the same. I'm still, with the amount I've played Mario Odyssey, Mario Odyssey still hasn't overtaken it (laughs) uh, on the list. Um, and so the only other thing I also downloaded this year's uh, Football Manager for mobile because mm-hmm. that's the version that I prefer playing because yeah. again I can take it wherever I want. Although you were there playing is playing us while we were in the Sugar Club. Uh, yes, yes, I was. Well, look, you know, there's things to be done and <laughs> transfers to be made. Uh, it's very, very similar to last year's one. Um, and again, you, you kind of talk about like annual iterations of games. It's very difficult to make basically a a spreadsheet simulator Mm -hmm. um 
come alive and unless you're like going to completely drastically overhaul the you UI each year reinvent the wheel every single year no uh and, and completely overhauling the UI is just not the best thing to do because you know you get used to a way the because like, the thing is I easily sunk 50 to 60 hours of last year's football manager in and when you like just you know where everything is in in a particular kind of UI setup to then change that even even if the new setup is good it will still just piss you off because you're like I, I have a way I have a flow you know mm-hmm. I have all the things that I'm going to do in between games and all the things that I'm going to do during a game and now I have to completely rewire the way that I do all of those things so they don't really change with that um they had a couple of new uh, uh tactical things that you can do they they split tactics before the start of a game into like the shape of the team attack defense and you can kind of tap on each player and individually like so a midfielder could be a, a defensive midfielder a ball winning midfielder central yeah. midfielder attacking advanced playmaker box to box yeah box box so it gives you all of those options but it does give you kind of the recommended option for each player um there's not anything I've really seen. Like, I know there's a whole bunch of options at the start of the game, like, hey, like you can buy this additional pack to do this and that, but I've never done that. I just like playing the, the straight-up game for things like nine quid. Um, yeah, definitely doesn't seem to be anything drastically different. Brexit's still in there, but obviously it's a year earlier now. But I seem to have gotten the good Brexit this time because I'm actually signing players from Eastern Europe. So mm. that's good. Because uh, that completely fucked me over last time, and <laughs> my team was just a, a mess by the end. Um, yeah, it's pretty much it. It's it's weird because I'm playing it on my mobile this time, where the last couple of years I've been playing on a tablet, so the screen's a lot smaller, and like sometimes actually selecting players and dragging stuff is a bit of a pain because uh. uh, of the smaller screen. That's pretty much it, really. I mean, uh, I don't know what the actual kind of full fat version of Football Manager is like because I haven't bought it yet I've not touched it in a couple of years because uh, I just find it's too much for me at this mm. point um, but yeah if you like if you like having Football Manager on the go always the mo- mobile version can be recommended cool well with our uh, games that we're playing this week out of the way let's turn now to the news news on the mark Star Wars and the news headlines again this week, Mark, and I'll not spend too long on it this time. We spent four fucking hours last week on it. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but this is kind of uh, a couple of bits worth tagging up on here, uh, and that was uh, after we went to print last week, uh, actual politicians have started weighing in and gambling organisations uh, on the legitimacy of the loot box system or lack thereof in Star Wars Battlefront 2. There's no end in sight, this is from Eurogamer, to the controversy surrounding loot boxes in gaming, which has crystallised around the launch of Star Wars Battlefront 2. Last week, the Belgian Gaming Commission began an investigation into the practice of selling lumps of random in-game loot, sparked by the fury kicked up by Battlefront 2 prior to its launch. Now the Belgian Commission has weighed in with its findings and deemed loot boxes as gambling. The mixing of money and addiction is gambling, a spokesperson for the Commission told Belgian news site VTM. It will require time because we need to go to Europe with this. We will absolutely try to forbid it. 
It sounds decisive, but it's worth treating with some caution. Responding to Belgian Commission's latest statement, UK gaming lawyer Jasper Wall noticed that the country still had no considered policy position, no stated strategy, and that gambling authorities move slowly on the whole. Um, meanwhile, across the globe in Hawaii, down with the kids, Democrat politician Chris Lee has added more fuel to EA's fire by publicly calling for legislation to end the sale of loot boxes to minors. I had someone at work say, oh, did you, did you hear that loot boxes have been banned? It's not quite how. No, like the, <laughs> it's one of these things where um, not not so much with the Be- the Belgian situation, but the Hawaii, like the state representative situation. It's more a case of somebody was really angry about this, and it's a, a situation that it's not hard to come out on the right side of. So it's easy PR points for uh, for Lee here to to say something about it, even if nothing ever comes of it. He says we're here today to ensure the protection, the future protections for kids, youth, and everyone when it comes to the spread of predatory practices in online gaming and the significant financial consequences it can have and has been having on families around this nation. This game is a Star Wars themed online casino with us. <laughs> Which That's is a bit strong. Which is a soundbite that EA will not be fans of. <laughs> designed to lure kids into spending money. It's a trap. See what he did there? I, I, I do. Yeah. This is something we need to address to ensure that uh, particularly kids who are underage who are not psychologically and emotionally mature enough to be able to gamble which is why gambling is prohibited under the age of 21 are protected from being trapped into these cycles which have compelled many folks to spend thousands of dollars in gaming fees online Look, gaming fees is a very strange phrase here's the thing it's admirable but these are the words of a man who's never played a video game before. Yeah, um, like, he is absolutely correct in as much as it, it is gambling. Absolutely correct in that, absolutely you know, correct in terms spending of... spending actual money against a desired outcome. In like, terms of, Jim Sterling has been doing a tear of videos about this. In terms of protecting kids and families, uh-huh. it's I, spot on. I have absolutely no arguments for that. It's still the words of a man who's never played a video yeah, game yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah actual politicians talking about this and we also have uh, i'm just going to tag up uh, your homeland has weighed in on it as well the uk gambling commission weighs in on loot boxes and how it can and can't regulate in-game loot boxes the loot box debate has hit the mainstream media in a big way the past couple of weeks um specifically due to their appearance in star wars battlefront 2 resulting both in belgian and hawaiian authorities calling for a ban and launching investigations into the practice what about the uk gambling commission which has stayed fairly quiet about the issue will it launch its investigation anytime soon in short the answer seems to be no (laughs) that's according to an official blog post from the gambling commission's executive director tim miller which addresses concerns about loot boxes and video games parliament is responsible for setting the definition of what is legally classed as gambling and the gambling commission simply enforces the laws laid down the blog states the law sets a line between what is and is not gambling as the regulator we patrol that line and where an activity crosses it and presents a risk to people especially children we have and will take robust action um so kind of what he's saying here is that the legislation as it exists in the uk at the moment doesn't specifically uh, make loot boxes in online gaming an illegal thing. No, because so I, the the watchdog can't do anything about it. He's yeah. kind of saying this is more an issue for your member of parliament. I I would presume that um, depending on what country you're in, the legislation around gambling is probably the what well, the gambling of money with the idea that you could win earn more money. But loot boxes are spending money. Yeah, but for in-game content, 
So, you know, there is the grey area there of what does that constitute as in terms of gam- gambling. You see, the, the, the US has, like, notoriously tight arse about regulating gambling. Yeah. I've been for a long time. There's only certain states where gambling is even legal in the United States. So, obviously, they're going to be ones that are coming out against it. Um, uh, the Belgians being the first ones out kind of got me. I wasn't expecting the Belgians to lead the line on uh, on this but it's safe to say uh if you're ea or if you're any developer who is intending to make make loot boxes a key revenue stream over the next couple of years this is not the kind of light you want shone on your practices at all the next because even if these people don't force the issue the issue is being forced along to people who might perhaps the next 24 months are going to be so curious do you know what i'm really interested to see is what Anthem turns out to be like now. Yeah, I think you said that last week, yeah. Not Anthem, no, but... Oh, then we said it. Well, maybe. Yeah, we, we've definitely had the conversation about what the hell is Anthem well, going to be now. Well, and to be fair, we've probably had the conversation about what the hell is Anthem at yeah. E3. Um, yeah. I, I genuinely, like, I knew that Battlefront would have loot boxes and whatever and whatnot and i knew there'd be some people that would be pissed off about it like yeah. your jim sterlings yeah but i, I, I think never it was the real expected. like i think it was the real give an inch take a mile thing about this particular one i think it was like people were like right okay <clears throat> there was a certain there was a certain base level of loot boxes we've just come accustomed to at this point mm. and i think it was um star wars with not only how expensive the game already is at at buying over the counter but the fact that a significant amount of content and a significant part of the progression in that game is gated behind loot boxes. And everyone went, all right, you're fucking taking the piss now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's where it's at. They st- they say they haven't given up yet on um, the loot boxes. And I've said, well, how do you want to wanna hear what they said? This is just fresh off the press. I don't even, no one's written an article about this yet. Uh I saw Jim Sterling popped on with a video as soon as this statement came out. So he's kind of ahead of the curve before people actually write anything about it. Do you know what they're blaming now for this kind of thing? For why they did the loot box thing the way they did? I enlightened me. Star Wars canon. Apparently it's Star Wars canon's fault. Because they're like, well, if we wanted to make money off loot boxes, it needed to be important things. It couldn't just be cosmetic things. You can't just have a pink Darth Vader running around the place. Yes, you can. This is the the That'd CF- be like a huge pink dildo well, running that's, around. That's, that's be pretty great. much exactly what Jim Sterling said. Oh, he okay. said like, "Fuck you, a pink Darth Vader would be awesome." <laughs> He's like, "This was, I think, it was the CFO of um, EA speaking to somebody. He was a keynote speaker at a conference and said this that basically." you can't just have cosmetics basically what he's saying is you can't have cosmetics as lo- cosmetics as loot boxes because people won't pay for that that's really what he's saying yeah he's not like they're trying to say that we don't want cosmetics or we want we can't have cosmetics because that fucks with star wars canon <coughs> whereas jim sterling has in fact pointed out in his video that the first star wars battlefront had cosmetics inside their loot boxes mm-hmm. so fuck off yep <laughs> like and you know like Overwatch and other things do just fine with having cosmetics in their loot boxes and as he said like we he is and we all should be against the very concept of loot boxes but there is the small concession that cosmetic loot boxes aren't as bad as gating off actual significant pieces of content and progression in loot boxes yes it's why there are some people that 
um, will piss and moan about your Overwatches and Team Fortress of the world, but it's mm. a much smaller part of the community Indeed. Uh, as compared to um, this whole shit show. Mm. Yeah. Moving from fee to pay into free to play, um, Marvel Heroes, which is a popular uh, free to play game, was shut down this week ahead of schedule. Uh, we had seen an announcement that they were going to be um, shutting down at some stage in the near future, but they actually shut down last week on the 24th of November. Um, oh yeah, that was it was originally going to go dark on New Year's Eve. Um, they basically... Massively OP said it had seen a termination letter written by the CEO, Dave Dominan, which claims banking creditors have effectively pulled the plug on the company, leading to the termination of every almost every employee at the studio and the apparent renege of benefits, in, including accrued paid time off. <coughs> so right at, right, I think it was the day before Thanksgiving, pretty much everybody working on Marvel Heroes was sacked and they weren't even given the, the benefits they had in lieu because all the money dried up from the company. Um, cool. Which is a really, really fucking um, horrible, horrible thing. Uh, and that the people included in that were, the, there's a name from um, Anthony Gallegos, who people might recognize from the popular Comedy Button podcast uh, that's co-hosted by Max Scoville and Brian Altano from IGN. Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the people that was let go, and he was, um, yeah, he was let go the same week where he was trying to deal with his uh, very very I think his dog has cancer and he can't pay for the treatment anymore strong um, and they let him go so go over to Anthony Gallegos over on Twitter if you got a couple of shekels to lend him to help his very adorable dog who's a corgi mix so that's immediately playing back to the heartstrings of one Mark Robinson there uh, moving on uh, Pokemon Ultra Sun and Moon came out I think two weeks ago you weren't even slightly tempted to get this either, were you? No, same. I never bought uh, black and white too. Yeah. So. Um, so it came out last week. Friend of the show, Jack Lazell, from what I understand, got both of them. Because he is a madman. Fair play to him. Um, Pokemon Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon include a heartwarming nod to the late, great Nintendo president, Satoru Uwata. Um, you can find it for yourself within the is it Hey Hey or He He Cities offices of Game Freak, Pokemon's real-life developer, which always includes a fictional branch of its own studio to visit. Unlocking the tribute requires some work, however, as detailed on Cerebi.net. But once you once at Game Freak, you'll need to be holding a Pokemon transferred from one of the previous games in the series, which are available to download at the eShop. Uh, Pokemon from each past game will unlock a piece of trivia on that particular game's development. To hear the quote about Iwata, you'll need a creature from Pokemon Silver. Um, here's the quote in full. Uh, when we were having trouble fitting in all the data for Gold and Silver and we were really in a pinch, this guy came along and made a program for us that solved all our problems. He went on to become an amazing president of a real big company soon after that too. So a nice little tribute to Satoru Iwata, whose presence is still greatly missed uh, over at Nintendo. And as a kind of weird presence on the Nintendo directs as well. Like, mm-hmm. I kind of miss uh, my, my little couple of seconds of Iwata's on. He had a, a certain kind of anti-charismatic charm about him. Yeah, his please understand. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Just like, just kind of anti-charisma Japanese businessman uh, on a direct. Um, another icon who is... Uh, available as a little easter egg but not nearly as touching or as ad- or as uh, beloved Sega has embraced its inner meme and released a Sanic 
t-shirt DLC for Sonic Forces. <laughs> I included this specifically for Mark. In case you had any doubts, the release is confirmed on Twitter via the official and bizarre Sonic the Hedgehog Twitter account. The free DLC includes a Sonic t-shirt for your custom character inspired by the Sonic the Hedgehog I'm not opening the link. A poorly drawn Microsoft Paint version of Sonic the Hedgehog. I can see it in my head right now. <laughs> This isn't the first time a developer has included a meme in its game. Not all fans saw the funny side when Nintendo referenced the Dobe meme in Legend of Zelda Triforce Heroes. And on a very different note, Bungie came under fire just two months ago after it included imagery which fans linked to the Keck meme in Destiny 2, which has recently become better known for its alt-right connotations. So, yeah, you can now uh, download that uh, Sanic t-shirt for free on the PlayStation Store, Nintendo eShop, or Microsoft Store, depending on your platform of choice. I wonder if there's going to be a point in my lifetime where Sonic becomes more well-known as a meme than an actual video game. Um, if Sonic Mania hadn't come out, we'd be a lot closer to that yeah, day. But a... the fact that, oh my god, they can still make a good one uh, has well, probably forced no, all no. that a little bit. You, your, your choice of the Sorry, there day. are people yeah. who can still make good They can hire people who'll make a good one. <laughs> Nintendo's next amiibo is a breakfast cereal. Um, Nintendo and Kellogg's are launching a Super Mario breakfast cereal whose box is also an amiibo. Currently only announced for the release for release in the US, Super Mario cereal is described as a mixed berry cereal with marshmallows. So it's basically Captain Crunch. Um, the marshmallows are shaped like question mark boxes, super mushrooms, and one ups. In other words, it's a Mario branded look. Oh, Lucky Charms is the one I was looking for. In my I don't want to go full commie here, but sometimes capitalism is just the worst. Uh, it, it you know if I was like six though. And I saw Super Mario cereal. Well, yeah, obviously. You know, I'd be like, shit, yeah, son. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an amiibo, fucking I yeah. Mean, I, can, I mean, as a 28-year-old, I'm kind of a little bit like, I can only presume yeah. at some point there was like Sonic Golden Rings or something as a cereal. I don't, I don't like Lucky Charms, but I love Mario, man. <laughs> and I like the idea of question block cereal. Um, but unfortunately, it's not coming to the UK and Ireland. Sadly. Oh. Um, not currently, anyway, according to the UK and Ireland Kellogg's Twitter account. But uh, what can you do? Mark, so we've had, like, Surgeon Simulator. We've had Goat Simulator. We've had I Am Bread. Different things like that. We've gotten a chance to simulate some very strange and unique experiences in video games in recent years. There is a game Some coming say out. we're living inside a simulator. There's a game coming out called Ripped Pants at Work. <laughs> Developer Scott Edrington has announced Ripped Pants at Work, a frantic stealth game about searching for new pants. That's trouser kind, by the way. Rip Pants at Works begins when a routine pencil retrieval operation goes badly wrong, causing your trousers to tear so vigorously they explode clean off. From there, with your undergarments embarrassingly exposed, your task with slipping through the busting rooms and corridors of your workplace, eventually moving out to the city streets in search of new trousers. Being spotted too often will result in your immediate unemployment, so you'll need to hide your modesty behind bookshelves and bushes as your hunt continues. If you're fired, the cycle continues with the next randomly generated person hired for your job. The trailer made me laugh because I'm extremely immature. I would definitely suggest looking up this trailer. It's only 40 seconds long. Uh, it's a real kind of like blocky it's it's like it's a mini game designed within minecraft almost it looks a bit like um a crossy road yeah 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 it's, I'll give you that. it's a kind of top down sort of stealthy uh game and i'm i'm just wild about the animation 
the, the cutscene of uh, your pants exploding off in tiny little blocks. I will watch this trailer afterwards, but for me, like, still the, the game trailer of the year is that bastard goose. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. So... We'll see if this tops that. But uh, that'll be coming to PC and Mac in January, and I, I, I genuinely probably will buy it. Yeah, <laughs> I'll probably have a look. It seems like a super dumb game in, a, in the best possible way. Um, Square Enix has been in the press talking about the future of Deus Ex. So remember Deus Ex, um, the Mankind Divided came out last year. Um, to kind of, uh, people liked it. I don't remember people absolutely loving it, although I could be wrong on that. Um, and the the important thing from a business point of view is that apparently it, the sales fell badly short of what Square Enix were expecting. So, um, we we got news. I believe it was back in January that Deus Ex had been put on hiatus as a, a an IP for the time being, while they tried to figure out what they were going to do with it. Um, there has been a little bit of an update about it. In a new interview with the GamesIndustry.biz, uh, Yosuke Matsuda has finally addressed Deus Ex's future, stating that it has not been cancelled, which sidesteps Eurogamer's report of a hiatus for the series. We've never said anything about discontinuing that title, but for some reason that's the rumour that's out in the market. While Masuda uh, avoided the term hiatus, he did confirm that despite Square's previous grand plans for the series, no Deus Ex game is currently in the works. What I can say is that Eidos Montreal has always developed Deus Ex, and the issue is we do not have limitless resources. We have several big titles that we work with, and that's partly a factor in what our lineup looks like. Of course, it would be ideal if we could work on them all at the same time, but some titles just have to wait their turn. The reason there isn't Deus Ex right now is just that a product uh, of our development lineup, because there are other titles that we are working on. So what he's saying is, don't worry, Deus Ex isn't gone away, but we've kind of taken a little bit of a breather. The game didn't sell so gangbusters that they were going to change around their entire production schedule to make sure that there's another Deus Ex immediately in development. Well, they dropped Hitman, so... Yeah. It goes without saying that Square, Square Enix are uh, very financially aware of what their situation, what their circumstances are. Yeah. And if yeah. Sync isn't viable at this time, they're not going to do it. And that's that's smart. So, yeah. Yeah. sure. Um, now, it may not necessarily have been their plan to, like do one in the near future anyway but what i was kind of saying what, what i'm what i kind of mean is like if the game had sold millions and millions of copies if it had like been a real kind of smash hit they probably would have gone well maybe we should change things around and strike while the iron's hot on this but obviously the fact that it completely fell under expectations for them is making them go no do you know what well, we'll keep it on the shelf keep in mind while. there's only been if i'm correct only one deus ex game per console generation well, there was a long gap uh, between, like, uh, before that 361 as well. Like, it was kind of... The 361 is what maybe people go, Oh, yeah, Deus Ex. We really like Deus Ex. Yeah, so if there's not, like, another one in this console generation, because, mm. it, I mean, depending on how long this console generation is, what, we're three years into it or so? Four. Four, is it? Maybe. 2013, I think. I don't know. It's a fucking blur. Uh, and the last co- uh, console generation was what six, seven. Uh, it was two thousand and six. Was the PlayStation three? Yeah. Uh, uh, sort of about seven years. So because Last of Us definitely came out in twenty thirteen. I think. Yeah. So we're in no rush. I feel like it came out twenty thirteen, twenty twelve, or twenty. We're, we're in no rush for a new Day XX game. 
They've yeah, got other stuff yeah. they're working on. So. Uh, like I said, you know, if, if it had sold, like, say, if it sold Gangbusters numbers like The Witcher or something well, like yeah. that, they probably would have gone, okay, maybe. Uh, but the fact that it didn't is probably like, okay, well, this justifies our, our, keep, our decision yeah, to keep it on the I can't imagine Deus Ex has always been, or has ever been, um, like, a big marquee seller for Square Enix. Like, no, I, I know that... that previous one did quite well because i don't think people were expecting well i don't think like people in the industry shall we say were expecting people to fall back in love with that no, franchise because again. i as far as i'm aware deus ex the original is more of like a cult classic yeah yeah oh was that i remember hearing about deus ex when i was in primary school yeah as like a, a cult kind of thing and then yeah it was a proper like a, a modest mainstream success as opposed to an outrageous mainstream success when that mankind divided came out yeah is that what it was called i think what the last one? No, not the the one on three hundred and sixty. That uh, was uh, Human Revolution. Human Revolution. Human Revolution. Yeah. Mankind Divided was the one that just came out. Yeah, because I I had Human Revolution and yeah. I played it for about two hours and didn't like it. Yeah, but that's um, me. So yeah, and I had the the new one and I kind of I, I'm very weird about stealth in games. Mm. Sometimes I can get on board with it. Sometimes I can't, and this is one of the games where I completely bounced off yeah. the, the stealth elements in it. Um. We got another game coming out on the Switch, which is something I really enjoy saying, and I don't appear to be running out of occasions to say it. Unfortunately, because I'm looking at these last two bits of news, and the game that's being announced on Switch is not the one that is... No, but I'm very excited about this particular game. I don't know if you know much about this game. I don't think I do. So this is a game called Serial Cleaner, and the the theme of this game is... um, Let me just... uh, I, it's basically the, the whole point of the game like it's a really cool stylized animated game uh, I love the animation in this game the art style and you're just the guy who shows up after a murder scene and you have to clean it up <laughs> cool so you're like the you know like you know Pulp Fiction yeah so you're Winston Wolf yeah, basically yeah, yeah. you're right. the dude that gets the phone call going there is just fucking intestines everywhere <laughs> in this nightclub uh, you need to get rid of like the bodies, the blood, the evidence, everything. Uh, and it's kind of like, again, this is one of those ones where I think I'd enjoy the stealth elements to it. Like trying to get like the bags full of body parts out yeah. into your car without being spotted. Um, it looks really cool. I think it's coming out t- tomorrow as this podcast is released, like the end of the week. It's at some stage this week anyway, so check that one out. Um, and then the other one, finally... And uh, a friend of the show, Barry Murphy, looked this up earlier on. The first time we would have heard about this game is the first time you heard about this game through Giant Bomb. No, I'd heard. Of, I'd, I'd seen it. I want to say two years earlier at a games convention. Okay, so most of us then will have heard of it from about 2014, which is when Giant Bomb uh, played it. Yeah, uh, I think it was March 2014. Barry was saying. So that's when I heard it. This weird kind of like. It was one of these, like, there's this real popularity of games with weird physics, like, you know, Octodad and things like that. And this is a brawler. It kind of started with, uh, was it Quop? Quop? What the fuck was that? There's like a weird physics, uh, you're trying to run along using the uh, keyboard controls, but it's all fucked up. I think it's, what the fuck is it called? Keep talking. Yeah. Um, hysterical multiplayer brawler Gang Beast comes to PlayStation 4 on the 12th of December, just in time for family arguments this holiday season. According to the PlayStation blog, Gang Beast will arrive with new modes like clumsy yet brutal 2 versus 2 soccer matches. Oh, wow. 
um, a four-player co-op horde mode and various customization options. Gang Beast sees players take on the role of the Beef City thugs, going toe-to-toe on a variety of challenges, mainly punching, kicking, and humiliating each other. You can just hurl your foes from fearsome heights into fiery incinerators and hazardous machinery, just the kind of violence everyone needs after a filling Christmas dinner. Um, Gang Beast is an incredibly look, like an incredibly fun-looking game, and it's one of those games where I really wish I had a more powerful PC that I could hook up to our TV so that I could play gang beasts mount your friends yeah. a bunch of different like games weird pc games like that i just i remember um because it was uh, like an indie games expo i was at i think it was the, it was either the indie one or it was Eurogamer and just in the indie games section and i remember i was walking along a particular kind of corridor and there was like all these really kind of small low-key games and i just i saw like a bundle of people around one particular game and I remember walking over there, and I could just see what was like a very kind of early beta version of Gang Beasts. <clears throat> and I was like, "What in the fuck is this?" And I saw that it was this company called Bone Loaf. I was like, "Okay, sure, I can get bored with that." And I spoke to one of the people there. I was like, "What the hell is this game?" And they're like, "Well, it's kind of this, like ragdoll physics battle royale, basically." Um, and one of the levels was the wrestling ring. I was like, mm-hmm. "Wait, there's a wrestling ring?" So like, yeah, do you have to like knock them over the top rope? And like, yeah. I was like, Please, may I play this? Yeah, uh, and I was there for like the next hour. So I, yeah, I've been aware of um, Gang Beast for god fucking years now, and um, it's mad. It's taken it taken this long to get a, an actual console port of it, um, and uh, I just hope that we get that Switch one version at some point. Yeah. But I tell you what, I'll uh, I'll definitely play some PS4 Gang Beasts. Yeah, there's definitely. I, I feel like that might be one in the January sales when I come back from Christmas that might be getting picked up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, lo- just I've always wanted to get my hands on Gang Beasts, so it's 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 definitely going to be bought around here. That's for sure. Probably a couple of copies. Looking at the glint in your eye there. <laughs> um, that's it for the news this week. We're going to move now on to the Link to the Cast book club, which is where we talk about an important game from the past that uh, either you should play for the first time if you haven't already or pick back up again if it's been quite some time this week we're going way way back and we're going to talk about uh, an infamous shooter franchise uh, of which a new installment was just recently released we're going to be talking about the classic that is Wolfenstein 3D Wolfenstein 3D is a first-person shooter video game developed by id Software and published by Apogee Software and FormGen. Originally released May 5th, 1992 for MS-DOS, it was inspired by the 1981 Muse software video game Castle Wolfenstein. In Wolfenstein 3D, the player assumes the role of allied spy William B.J. Blaskowitz, 
during World War II as he escapes from Nazi, the Nazi German prison Castle Wolfenstein and carries out a series of crucial missions against the Nazis. The player traverses through each of the game's levels to find an elevator to the next level or to kill a final boss, fighting Nazi soldiers, dogs and other enemies with knives, pistols and other guns. Um, Wolfenstein 3D, uh, Mark, we are well known around these parts for being fans of id software and for being heavily appreciative and in a lot of ways indebted to them for both our interest in games and the effects they've had in the industry as a whole it's kind of a little surprising like when i looked up um had we done wolfenstein yet any installment of wolfenstein it's kind of surprising that of the three big of the sorry of the four big id intellectual properties this was a third one we put in well that's the only one we haven't put in yet is quake well i was gonna say you're the fucking maniac that's uh... in commander keen invasion of the vorticons yeah yeah Yeah. because i will say this actually out of the four big ones quake is actually my go-to up until last year's doom but i mean of the four quake is the one i've played the least yeah because by the time quake was huge I had moved to console gaming, whereas I was a PC gamer, and I grew up on Wolfenstein, Doom, and Keen. And for me, I wasn't a PC gamer, but I had Quake on the PS2, I think. I had, like, Quake Arena or something. Um, So, yeah, so we're kind of roles reversed when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, The the story of id Software is always tied up in in two men. Just go watch Noclip. All right. Yeah. (laughs) And that's... uh, legendary programmer and resident of Galway, Ireland, John Romero, although he wasn't resident of Galway, Ireland at the time, uh, and a man by the name of John Carmack, who I think you could sum up his um, his role in the game industry as wizard. Because he's always a man um, who, and I think you'd, you'd go along with me on this, Mark, uh, he's always a man that seems to be able to just conjure things from the technical limitations of the time he's living in that shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, the things he's able to do uh, in the, the 3D id tech engines back during the days of Wolfenstein 3D and, and things like that. And the things he's he's doing now in the kind of VR space. He's always a man who's trying to squeeze the last drop from the lemon uh, per se. They're the two men we talk about generally, although there were other people, obviously, around id at the time. And this game came out after um, they had already released Keen at this point, I believe. Um, um, Let me just double check that. Yeah, the second major release by id Software after the Commander Keen series of episodes. Um, So in 1991, this game came out in 1992, so we are... living in the year of the 25th anniversary of Wolfenstein 3D, which makes you feel incredibly old. Um, In 1991, um, John Carmack was in the midst of developing um, this 3D engine, uh, this id tech engine, um, that would kind of allow you to move quickly in a a sort of 3D space. Um, And at the same time you had... Uh, John Romero and the other people at id trying to figure out like what was the next project for them and the the story goes that John Romero was already a massive fan of the Wolfenstein franchise but that uh, the the original franchise over at Muse it's it's it should go without saying I kind of briefly mentioned it there in the intro that id didn't originally own the Wolfenstein property it was a pro- it was a property owned by a 
company called Muse, who had developed uh, Castle Wolfenstein for the Apple II in 1981. Matt Bellamy made Wolfenstein. I know, right? <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> so the legend goes. Um, and he, they had originally, they were going to make like a monster sci-fi shooter. That was the original idea that was kicking around, or at least the earliest concept of what would eventually become Wolfenstein 3D. Um, and do you know, <laughs> do you know what it was originally called before it, before the Wolfenstein came into it? Do you know what this game was originally called? Uh, no. In its original concept phase, it was called "It's Green and Pissed." <laughs> <laughs> which is a, a kind of half reference to a line from John Carpenter's The Thing, which is apparently a big kind of uh, beloved film around the id offices at the time, which I have no problem believing, uh, having seen many interviews with John Romero over the years, that he would be a fan of John Carpenter's The Thing that seems right up his straza. He himself, uh, he says that like, he was a big fan of Wolfenstein and the Apple II and, and games on the Apple II. So he was he, he had Wolfenstein at the back of his mind. And kind of came to the rest of it with the idea that let's remake Castle Wolfenstein, but in our new engine that Carmack had been designing this whole time. So they start remaking it and they hadn't gotten the rights because they didn't know. Like, as hard as it is to trace intellectual property now, it was much harder in the late 80s, early 90s. It was all fucking ROM hacks anyway. after a while, the game already in development, they decided, let's figure out who owns it and see if it's (laughs) all right. It turns out, much to their delight, sort of, that Muse had gone out of business, became financially insolvent, so they were able to pick up the intellectual property at a pittance. Strong. And then it all became Wolfenstein. Now, before I go into more kind of like wolfenstein facts and things like that when was the first time you played wolfenstein 3d or oh. heard the name wolfenstein if, if that was if that happened before it would have been like way into actually um really getting into the history of video games mm-hmm. like definitely we're not talking at the time because again i didn't have a pc yeah um so i'm thinking it would have been Whenever I had a proper PC and the ability to actually emulate older games, um, so I'm thinking yeah. around about 2005. Okay. Now I would have heard about it um, earlier than that. Um, I don't know, probably around about the time I got Wikipedia and could start faffing around and looking yeah. at you know just old games. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't have like I have distinct memories of both playing Doom and knowing about Doom from an early age, but. Wolfenstein is that weird game where, you know, Doom is the most famous first-person shooter of all time. Yeah. But Wolfenstein is the kind of catalyst for everything that would come afterwards, which makes it really the granddaddy of shooters. It makes The granddaddy it... of the granddaddy of shooters. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so it has that kind of really unique place. Now, I do remember, and obviously this would be coming from someone who had never played it at the time, but going back and playing it, it's very much like... It's a really unique project and idea and mm-hmm. uh, like mechanically is not, it's still not the original because like, there was stuff like Catacomb, Catacomb 3D, um, which is, you know, yeah. a prototype from Carmack. But still, like the origins of first person shooters really does go back to Wolfenstein. Yeah. But when the, you play it, it's it, kind of like during, like a couple of weeks ago, we talked about WCW NWO Revenge. Yeah. And yeah. like all the, the, all the elements for the Aki THQ games that would eventually come together perfectly in No Mercy are in Wolfenstein. But there was just, 
it just wasn't quite Doom. Yeah. Although I love Wolfenstein 3D, that's not going to backslap it. I mean, by any you point. get to shoot Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> It's always a good time. It's so like it's so quintessentially when you think about as, um, the, as the shadow camp as the as the the viral uh, marketing uh, for New Colossus says there is only one side. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's 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 so kind of quintessentially when you think about um, playing video games in in like uh, the turn of the the uh, of the nineties and. Um, all of these kind of young male people getting into playing video games and just oh, violence, 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 mm-hmm. and it's like, well, yeah, be shooting Nazis, so yeah. it's all good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I do remember playing, playing it and thinking, okay, I see why this is an important game. It doesn't feel as impressive, like because mm-hmm. Doom, even the original Doom. Still feels really impressive to play twenty five odd years mm-hmm. later. You know, Wolfenstein doesn't quite have that, but obviously, due to the technical restraints and restrictions, mm-hmm. and the fact that they hadn't completely, you know, gotten the engine to what Doom would end up being, yeah. um, so, you have to take that into consideration. So for me, this was one of the first three games I ever played. Okay, uh, because the first three games I ever played are that ID three, because my dad was a huge mark for ID. So Doom was the first game I ever played. I honestly don't know which order it was after that that I played Commander Keen and uh, Wolfenstein. Just thinking back now, I can't remember what order it happened in. Obviously, I was like five years old or so because it would have been 1994 um, or 1995 that I played it. So um, it, it's tough to try and think back that far, honestly. Um, but yeah, so I have this this massive kind of affinity for it. Um the one thing it definitely does have in spades that Doom doesn't, and this isn't a thing that like I'm criticizing Doom for, because Doom shouldn't have this uh, in certain respects, is just this bright bloom of color. And part of that is down to like the blue walls, the blue doors and things like that. Like yeah. it's a much more um, in-your-face colorful game than, than Doom. One of the things that fucking blew my mind as a kid was the idea of um, actual voice samples in a game. So there's the, the famous thing, it's like almost video games equivalent under the Wilhelm screen, and that's a scream, and that's shooting a Nazi in this, and hearing, ah, my Lieben! <laughs> uh, which is, to this day, especially after I found out, like, the actual translation of it is uh, just, oh, my life! <laughs> like, the, the idea that someone would scream that as they were dying is just endlessly hilarious to me. Um, I as well as there's another thing they say, and my German is terrible, so I'm not going to try and uh, butcher it. But uh, they say something to the that is the 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 English translation is basically well, I never as they're dying, <laughs> which is just perfect. But like five year old me seeing a video game and hearing an actual voice coming out of the speakers was pretty like. It, to kids nowadays, they're like, "What the fuck are you talking about, old no, man?" It's, it's, but in ninety, in the in the early to mid nineteen nineties, that was a pretty big deal. Yeah, because like most of the, the sounds that you got at that point were just kind of beeps and bops from yeah, the twenty twenty two hundreds and so. shit like yeah. that. That's all you were dealing with. Um, so like, I've always had a soft spot for that. Um, it's obviously got a lot of the form factor that Doom has, like the bar uh, along the bottom, the, the the face in the middle, making kind of strange expressions as you're going along. Um, the gore obviously is right there. There's a very interesting story that the the publisher of the game uh, met with Id and kind of went, um, 
you know what? We're we're not necessarily wild about all territories getting this incredibly bloody version of this game. So apparently Romero just went fuck you, went back into the game and made it worse. <laughs> and then oh, John then kind of submitted it to them. This is how the legend goes anyway. Then kind of submitted it to them and they just went oh, right, fine. I just published it like that. <laughs> so like there's there's plenty of gore in this game. Like I said, there's plenty of color. Um, there's there's an interesting variation in in the sprites between like the the dogs and the actual Nazis themselves. So for the time, that's kind of an impressive thing technically. Uh, a couple of more. I really hope as well, by the way, that he didn't have like the filter or meter for the blood. I hope it wasn't called blood. I hope it was just like called the fuck you meter or something. Because <laughs> that would seem like a very John Romero thing to do. Yeah, that's that's for sure. But uh, to go back to kind of um the the development of the game when they didn't know if they were going to be allowed um call it wolfenstein they had uh, a bunch of different names for it so the most popular name that everyone knows it was nearly called was castle hollerhammer mm-hmm. which is the name given to the the second castle in castle wolfenstein or sorry not castle in wolfenstein 3d so that name does survive and it's still in the lore to this day um would you like to hear a couple of the other n- nearly names for this franchise? Uh, because let, a couple of them are absolute belters. Let, let me have some wild guesses. Was, like, Nazi Hunter one of them? Uh, no, I don't, I don't think there was any Nazi puns in here. So we had... Um, I presume that that would be problematic. There was a couple of uh, German names. Uh, Schattensendener, which it means Shadow Sender. Eisenschwert, Iron Sword. Uh, Gerush Schlecht, which is Bad Smell. Uh, full which is Devil Dagger, which you will recognize that okay. name because right, it, yep. there was a game released many was, years yeah. later called Devil yeah, Dagger. Okay. Um, then we come into the English ones. Castle Hasselhoff is a pretty good one. <laughs> also, say that ten times fast. Castle Hasselhoff, Castle. Yeah. Um, deep in Germany, Adolf's Bane. Uh, and then we come into what I call my favourites, which because are the, the real, I'm, the classic puns. I'm going to presume that, that there must be some kind of restriction where you can't name a game with any kind of, like, Third Reich references, maybe. Well, we will actually get to that in okay. a second. Um, so, the my my trio of favourite nearly names for right. this, there was uh, <laughs> Lugermineo. Thank you very much. And my personal favourite, how do you Dusseldorf? <laughs> See, the thing Which is... Which is great stuff. The thing is, obviously, John Romero and Carmack are both, like... Madmen. No, they're geniuses, but they're also idiots at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's, they're, like, if we were way smarter, that's who, that's who we would be. Yeah. <laughs> Just idiots. Yeah. They're, they're intelligent wastemen. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, it's good stuff. But uh, you, you hit on something there, which was something I didn't find out until way after the fact, and that was the um, the game completely banned from sale ever in Germany. Stunned. Because Stunned. Germany, ha- for those of you who don't know, Germany have a law against the use of Nazi references and iconography in media. Which is a and fair... And in public. And things like that. Thing to do. Yeah. Like, you can still use... So, you can still display Nazi iconography, things like that, in a historical context. If it's a museum, things like that. Sure. But in terms of uh, 
can you play it up for yucks in a video game? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not no. so much. Because um, the, the thing that always comes to my mind is like uh, the fact that the Elimination Chamber by the WWE yeah. is not called the Elimination Chamber in Germany. Mm-hmm. It's called... The connotations are not great. I think it's called... I think it actually might be called My Way Out or something. Elimination Chamber connotations in Germany, not great. Yeah. Um, also, the fact that like if you, if you already think... Uh, a game that has so much Nazi iconography and fucking Mecha Hitler, which we will get to. <laughs> um, if you don't think that's heavy-handed enough, people may not know this, but the the original opening theme to Wolfenstein is a chiptune version of the Nazi Party oh anthem. Oh my god! So like, it's proper. I was not aware of that. Like for people who weren't around in the nineties, you need to understand that like this was a time where like people's feelings not taken into account at all. Um and, and like I get that you know no in fairness it's one of those things in fairness, where we're still shooting Nazis it's one of those things where this franchise is kind of great great uh, in some respects with that where it goes yes they're serious evil but Wolfenstein as a franchise has never been afraid of also portraying the Nazis like fucking idiots yeah. <laughs> hence the oh mein Lieben yeah, stuff you uh, know like there's a lot of and like why were they all leaving chicken dinners around the place on the floor come on I mean, to be fair I've asked the question in a lot of games. Yeah. Um, one of the the other things that the, the franchise the, that the game is uh, well known for is the secret passages, the hidden walls, which is something that would also follow through into Doom. Uh, and it's funny enough because um, that uh, was an idea that was shot down by John Carmack in development. He said that basically they went, "We want these walls that have stuff behind them or ways to get through the map." Uh, we don't want them obvious and you click on them and the wall will slowly go back and slide to the side. And John Garmark went, no, that's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently this argument went on for ages and he was outvoted on it. So he had to put them in and did not like that he had to put them in. Because John Carmack, the the running theme with John Carmack, we may talk about Doom 2 someday, we may talk about other Wolfenstein Mm. games. Uh, the one running theme in John Carmack's career is that when he's talking about these games, we may talk about Quake someday as well, when id were developing shooters, John Carmack's whole goal was this needs to move as fast as possible and there needs to be as few obstacles in the way of you running around like a madman. Yeah. So his thing was, <clears throat> if we open the wall and it goes back and then it goes to the side, that's like a second and a half that you could have been shooting Nazis in. So why are we stopping, <clears throat> you know? Um, but I, I think the like the, the secret wall thing adds to it a little bit. Like it adds to the mystique of the game. I, I think that the... you can you can make an argument either way. I yeah. appreciate the the idea. Um, and part like, of this is I think at this stage, John Carrack already just wanted big arena, yeah. no wall. <laughs> I think like for me, definitely coming from the the background of Quake being out of the the classic id lineup being yeah, my yeah. favorite. And just the idea that it is non-stop, yeah. um, I think I can, yeah, I can, I can resonate with that. Yeah. But, um, but still, like to be playing a, a 3D game in the early '90s with that kind of level of exploration behind it, mm-hmm. there, there's an argument to be to be made there for that was, as well. There were other fights he won, uh, and I wrote this down so that I wouldn't forget it. So original versions of the game, there were other mechanics. Which, if you think about, like, so this game came out in 1992. Think about how ahead of their time these things. Uh, were mark this game originally the plan was it was going to have a lock picking mini game it was okay. going to have uniform stealing and the ability to move corpses around and hide them so it was going to go a much more stealthy route 
that was one of the original ideas for the game but again John Carmack said that this slows down gameplay that's not what we're here for we're not here for like a stealthy you know gut the Nazis game we're here for a run run shooty bang the Nazis game you know Um, to the extent where like I said he had already been developing that fast shooter engine for id and he decided to speed it up even more for Wolfenstein so that the gameplay just flowed as much as possible. Mark, so you came to this as an adult, so this wasn't... Like, as a child, you'll pretty much go along with any sort of ridiculous idea. So my first impressions of encountering... I don't know, even as a 30-year-old, I'm still... This this next concept, as a child, encountering this because everything was stupid robot something in the 90s. Mm. So it wasn't a, a concept, and I didn't have the historical context at age five or six to realize this was a really weird thing. Tell me, as uh, an adult or slightly more mature human being, the first time you heard or saw Mecha Hitler, what did you think? Uh, again, uh, I, I can't give you like the the pinpoint time of when I'd have heard about it. Yeah. But I mean, considering by this point I was already aware of like a giant fucking spider with like metallic legs and, mm. uh, and whatnot. Um, yeah, the idea of like mega hitler just is kind of part of the course really yeah you know? it's just this it's kind of one of those things like those id games are well known for like something so ridiculous happens where you're just like okay <laughs> you just kind of go with it like again the cyber demon you're just kind of like all right yeah yeah sure um the other c- cool thing uh, that I, I really enjoy about Wolfenstein before we kind of bring this to a close is um, its place in, in id canon. And that's the idea that is established id canon that uh, BJ Blazkowicz is the grandfather of Commander Keen, and Commander Keen is the either father or grandfather of the Doom Marine. I mean, I can only hope so. No, it is. It is actually because there no, are... No, but I I'd still... You could only hope that that is, you know, just... Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just, like, a needless bit of, like, content... Like, the, the ID cinematic universe kind of shit going on If I'm on being here. perfectly honest, that's no more ridiculous a concept than um, Nintendo trying to kind of canonize the Legend of Zelda timeline. Mm, so, indeed, yeah. You know. Um... Yeah, so Wolfenstein, uh, do you got any more like kind of stuff you want to share? Um, we well, just uh, talk to me um, about what my face words the the reemergence of Wolfenstein, the reboot. So yeah, so Wolfenstein is around for a bit in the nineties, and Wolfenstein three D for me, and it's probably just because you know that kind of every comic book is someone first comic book kind of thing because Wolfenstein 3D is a jumping on point it was the high watermark for me by some considerable distance Uh, as the years went on there was a lot of increasingly poor attempts at using that Wolfenstein name there was one that came out was it Return to Castle Wolfenstein uh, last generation that was kind of a very people seem to like it well enough I never played it I just remember it was a thing that existed yeah I think it was kind of a Doom 3 sort of thing where, yeah, it's a game with a famous name slapped on it, and it's okay, but maybe we would have liked it more if it wasn't called that. You know what I mean? Like, Doom 3 
would have been fine to me if it wasn't called Doom 3, because invoking Doom means certain things. Same with Wolfenstein. Like, it, it, when I look at Return to Castle Wolfenstein, that isn't what I want from Wolfenstein. Um, so, for a long time, I thought, we're never going to get another good Wolfenstein again. again. Much like I thought with Doom. And then Machine Games takes on the job under Bethesda, because this is long after Bethesda had acquired id. Uh, and they come out with the new order three years ago, I think. Two or three years ago. Three or f- mm. It was this generation, anyway. Yeah, early. And um, that was pretty good. Like, it wasn't as good as Doom 2016 was. <laughs> no, because no. not many things are. But it was pretty good. And what it did was, um, it, it in some ways kept some of the things about Wolfenstein you love, and that was the running non-stop shooting Nazis element, um, and the ridiculous kind of lore, like, they haven't pulled off Mecha Hitler yet, they haven't, they haven't pulled the trigger on Mecha Hitler in this new rebooted franchise, but some of the stuff, like the Panzerhuns and stuff like that, that, that come into this new franchise mm. are, are pretty great, and then along that same sort of line, uh, and one of the things that's really evolved from the 90s is the 90s was not a time where people cared about story and video games unless you were really into your JRPGs in the 90s. Uh, but the the rebooted Wolfenstein games have actually turned BJ Blazkowicz into one of genuinely the most interesting protagonists in video games right and now. And it does... Um, it starts off, they lay the groundwork very well in New Order and in the New Colossus, I, it's just that game is fucking brilliant and it does feel that they've gone like full on Philip K. Dick with yep. the concept of Nazis in, in America yep. and, or just in so like they've gone yeah it, it's like the first game is a lot of kind of like really brutal violence and some ridiculous sci-fi stuff with like the ancient Jewish magic and the the kind of like the, the sort of Nazi cyborg shit going on and then there's like a whole said, bunch Wolfen- of words there. <laughs> yeah, Wolfenstein 2 is very Man in the High Castle. Yeah. And it's got, again, some more sci-fi shit. Like, um, it really takes... Like, some of the stuff that happens in the first one is batshit insane in New or- in um, New Order and its expansion, The Old Blood. The Old Blood goes way more into the weird sci-fi stuff, by the way, if you've never seen that. It's pretty crazy. Um... And then, yeah, Wolfenstein 2 just expands on that and is one of the the best games of 2017. Uh, it's Def. It might be my runaway leader for best story in a game this year. It's fucking some of the... Sh- it's, I said it before on the show, it just fucking swings for the fences. But it all came from Wolfenstein 3D, which I think um, I would give a similar recommendation to this game like I gave to WCW NWO Revenge. It's not the perfect iteration of the id tech engine. Depending on your tastes, that perfect iteration is either going to be Quake with their Quake engine or the, the, the id engine that was used on Doom. Um, depending on which is your preference, obviously, as you said, yours is Quake, mine would be Doom. Mm. Um, but it is um, both for what it does to eventually lead to Doom and what it does to create the, the franchise that led to one of the best games of this year. It's a very, very interesting game to play. Um, and like I said, it's kind of a weird anachronism now that like some of the stuff they did, did that was just so fucking... Like, just... Like, there's a story about how, like... You know, people often say that 
a lot of Americans don't really have a good concept of world history because not because they're stupid, but it's just because the school system isn't set up to teach them very in in very great detail about world events, yeah. outside, like outside of the states. There's a story that goes around from the development of Wolfenstein 3D that um, they were so ignorant of actual German history that it, there was a point in the, I think the credits or the manual for the game that refers to the Nazi soldiers just as Germans. And it had to be explained to them that not all Germans <laughs> were Nazis. <laughs> that's that's like the most offensive thing you could probably do. Yeah, but it, like... It, and it wasn't in a way that like they knew and they were just like no all no, Germans were Nazis they ridiculous. genuinely did yeah, not know yeah. um, so it's an interesting look back to that time where people were just making like what sort of magic can you put in the game let's make a game with Mecha Hitler where the opening song is chiptune version of the Nazi party anthem why not let's leave a bunch of chicken dinners around the floor <laughs> you know it's um it's a real crazy game. But, Video uh, games, eh? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, very much love Wolfenstein 3D. Um, very integral part of growing up for me. Mark, one last bit of business left in the podcast. That is to tell us what is coming up for episode 94 of the Cast. Uh, I am going to have a game that's on this side of the millennium. Mm-hmm. And arguably... You, current day Robinson. Arguably, you could say it's one of the maybe top 10, top 20 most important games of the millennium so far. Oh, here he is. Uh, Just from um, how important it is from the aspect of mobile games, um, but how far it's also gone outside of the the kind of gaming bubble and how kind of further afield it's gone in terms of kind of just entertainment in general and media in in general. Uh, And that's Angry Birds. Oh, hello. I would not have expected that from you, but let's do it. It's, I mean, hey, we're here for the kind of culturally important video games as well. And yeah, I think yeah. that that is definitely is. is one of them. So Episode 94 is going to be Angry Birds. Uh, that's going to do it for Link to the Cast this week. Uh, this podcast is available on SoundCloud, iTunes, most podcasting platforms. Just search on there for Link to the Cast. Uh, subscribe to us there, rate, review tell a friend share on the social medias it all really does help us the the more reviews we get on the itunes and the podcasting platforms the further up those kind of new and noteworthy sections we'll get it'll really help us out we'd appreciate it uh, link to the cast.eu is the website to go and check our show notes things like that if you want to get in touch drop us an email link to the cast at gmail.com Get on the, the social me, as the kids say, the social media, facebook.com forward slash link to the cast and at link to the cast on Twitter, where you'll get a much quicker reply to us than if you had emailed. And by following us on Facebook or Twitter, you will also get uh, immediate updates when we drop new podcasts and content. Speaking of new podcasts and content, you should go on link to the cast.eu or onto your podcast feed and check out the latest edition of The Grap Up, our occasional pro wrestling podcast for myself, Mark, and a friend of the show, Jack Lazell broke down Survivor Series weekend and some other stuff in the world of professional wrestling. Individually, on the tweet machine, I am at Dave Ryan IV. Mark is at Lithium Project. Uh, we also have a rake of stuff up on YouTube, even though our Twitch channel, uh, twitch.tv forward slash link to the cast, is not really broadcasting stuff at the moment. Um, you should go to YouTube, search for link to the cast, all one word or separately, and there is a wealth of video content up there. Uh, of us just playing random shit generally stuff that Mark despises because uh, Mark getting annoyed at David Cage games is what gives me life Um, 
that is going to do it for Link to the We're Cast. not playing Detroit, I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> but you can. Oh, dude, we still got Fahrenheit to play. I've got that downloaded. Go but... fuck yourself. Um, that's going to do it for episode 93 of Link to the Cast. I've been Dave Ryan. That man over there slowly developing hypothermia is Mark Robinson. <laughs> uh, we shall see you all next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.